the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to have you in the house with us on this late period in April. We're moving closer to May, one or two days, and we will be in the May weather. And I'm looking forward to it, getting out of this pollen-driven atmosphere, (laughs) overcoming uh, allergies and all of the things that plague so many of us. If you don't have allergies, count your blessings. Count your blessings because it is a temporary period of absolute misery for many of us. Um, so I do want to welcome you to the Monday edition of Life. I'm, I'm okay. Um, you know, I, I, I have my challenges with it and it lasts for about three weeks. There are people who are really, really, I mean, just really struggle with it. <clears throat> it debilitates you. It causes you to be tired and lethargic and worn out, etc. For me, it's just largely a kind of a dry throat, uh, itchy eyes, a little here, a little there, but um, doing better, doing better. And I'm glad to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. If you are my fellow miserant, then uh, uh, let me comfort you. It doesn't last long. So um, be smart, stay hydrated, um, avoid um, uh, overexposure to different pollens outside or Elsewhere, um, stay highly um, vitamized. Take all of your necessary supplements and nutrients to boost your immune system because that's really largely what we are dealing with, an immune system deficiency of sorts. Um, But beyond that, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I hope you are as well. Let me give out the number before we kind of pour into whatever might be on our minds, yours and mine collectively, one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to call, try to initiate a topic, uh, pose or proffer an idea to to be built upon. We can do some potpourri. We can uh, do some gumbo. Uh, we can we can uh, we can try to put something together. One triple eight one eight 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 three six seven five three two nine is to reach yours truly jesse gistan on the monday edition of lifeline glad to be with you privileged to be exercising our uh, constitutional rights of gathering together and speaking freely on the things that matter to us this is a christian radio station and uh, and therefore we have a presuppositional worldview at least yours truly does there i am aware of kind of qualifying statements that come on before and after the program the uh this station doesn't necessarily agree with everything the host might be saying but it should in any event i am here as one who believes in the bible the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God from Genesis all the way through Revelation in its original languages. The miraculous work of translation and uh, and, and manuscript copies over the almost um, 1885 years now since the days of the apostles' expiration is a phenomenal story in itself, textual criticism, if you were to give yourself to a healthy, robust history of it, would uh, make you very much aware that the Bible that you have, if it's a good translation, is in fact a miracle of uh, God's providence and God's grace. And what the Bible is very clearly attesting, self-attesting of, is the ability to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by God the Father, chosen in Christ Jesus, called by the gospel and empowered by the Spirit of God to be sons and daughters of God throughout all of human history. God's always had a people 
to the praise of the glory of his grace from the days of Adam all the way up to the present. The gospel has been the same from Revel- from Genesis to now. It's been the same from the Old Testament and the New. It's always been through the blood atoning work of another on our behalf as a substitute satisfying the penal judgment of God against our sins because God is angry with the wicked every day and he will punish all workers of iniquity. There is a day of judgment coming for humanity, uh, both in time and in eternity. And that's the message the prophets have always preached. They have preached ruined by the fall, redeemed by the blood, and regenerated by the Holy Ghost. Any other gospel is a false gospel. Unless the gospel of the glory of God in the person of Christ through the preaching of the word of God is set forth in all of the accuracy of explicit doctrinal truth, you do not have the gospel. The gospel is not about man. It's about God. It's about the glory of God manifested to his creatures and then his redeeming glory, saving men and women from every nation, kindred, tribe and tongue. That is the gospel. The gospel is not about health and wealth and prosperity and living your best life now. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not about smile. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is never presented in the Bible as the gospel. The gospel is never about God trying to appeal to you or offer Jesus to you. God has never offered Jesus to you. Jesus has offered himself to God in the behalf of sinners to satisfy God's justice. God has presented to you the atoning work of Jesus Christ as the only way by which you and I can escape the wrath of God. But the work of our atonement and our justification is a work that God the Father and God the Son did all by themselves without you or without me. So that we never ever assert or poise a position that we somehow help God save us by our decision or by our faith or by our good work. That is not the gospel. By the time the gospel comes to you or to me, it's a done deal. It is finished. Atonement was accomplished. And it's applied by the spirit of God when he grants you and I faith in Jesus Christ. We do not justify ourselves. Our faith does not justify us. Our faith merely affirms that we have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ. It's called the gospel of the grace of God. And only real sinners get the gospel. Today, we are fighting major battles in the church around every cardinal, historical, creedal truth there is. That there is one true and living God. And that there is one true and living God who has a son who happens to be begotten, not created, not made, but begotten from all eternity. Oxymoronic as it may be, the son of the living God is very God of very God, but he's the second person. It is also declared in the credo statement long ago that there is a person called the third person, the spirit of the living God. He's not a force. He's not a power. That is to say, he's not an inanimate entity. We don't call it an it. He's a person. He's rational, intelligent, omnipotent, omniscient, everywhere present, but working exclusively in the behalf of the son and the father to redeem a people for himself. He's the one that causes the gospel to actually have meaning in our lives. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. And he's the one that we call the resident Lord in your life, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of glory. The means by which you and I are gradually developing and maturing and growing and becoming more like Christ, having the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. All that is a work of grace, not of man. Until God saves us, we are unsavable and can't save ourselves. After he saves us and quickens us, we are co-joined together with Christ in what we call the doctrine of union by which we live in him and him in us. And what we do, we do in union with him for without him, you can do nothing. I'm giving you doctrinal truth and biblical principles around what salvation is, because in our generation, you are quickly seeing Trojan horses rising up everywhere, pretending to be Christian and yet denying every cardinal doctrine in the book. Again, from the nature of God, the ontological nature of God to the explicit and necessary work of Christ on the cross, his his incarnation, his his miraculous birth, his his impeccable life. 
his substitutionary atoning death and his actual bodily resurrection. All this is being denied. All this is being abandoned. The necessity to be born again, regeneration, the dynamic of God making you and I new creatures in Christ. You must be born again. The the poignant work of the spirit of God convincing men of sin, because you don't hear it today in what we call evangelism. You're a sinner on the way to hell and you need a redeemer. That's ridiculous today as it was in the first century when the whole ethic was Roman in nature and pagan in nature. As Paul said in first Corinthians chapter one, that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. And it's that way today. And many of those that are perishing are in the church. I would recommend you highly listen to last Monday's uh, news briefing by Al Mohler on uh, one of the most prominent liberal, albeit liberal uh, seminaries, Union Theological Seminary in uh, graduate seminary in New York, which we have one here in Berkeley as well. And how absolutely crass and open and blatant its uh, apostasy is. It'll give you a good example of what I mean by multiple Trojan horses all over the place pretending to be Christian and denying every fundamental of the faith there is to be had by which we constitute the uh, uniqueness of Christianity around the world. So that's what's going on in the uh, in the world of Jesse Giston around theological issues, just battles everywhere. Hallelujah. Because what God said was, as we move closer to the end of time, there will be great fallings away. And it's been going on for centuries now, fallings away, fallings away. It happened in John's day. John said they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have no doubt remained with us. But they went out that it might be proven that they were never with us in the first place. And what John was plainly making clear is that if you're not God's sheep, eventually you'll turn against the gospel and you'll rend the truth like like swine do. And you'll get on about the business of being religious without uh, submission to our allegiance to the crown rights of Jesus Christ. Very clear, very clear that God must call you. God must save you. God must keep you or you and I will perish forever under the wrath of God. Now, those are the the fighting grounds that we're dealing with today in uh, the world of Christianity on a doctrinal level. And uh, the uh, the adversaries of the truth are trying to shred in pieces the word of God, the Bible, by multiple translations, by myriads of arguments against the again, the transmission work of uh, the thousands and thousands of manuscript evidences that we have just major arguments against it and and basically a part a posture of. We don't believe it, and therefore it's not true. And so a lot of people who are not anchored in um, in biblical truth, in, uh, in sound, logical thinking, will quickly have their Bibles taken away from them. And you'll look up, and the church will look just like the world, as it is doing every day, more and more like the world, sounding like the first century Roman uh, culture. Uh, embracing and advocating all of the uh, deviant behavior patterns that are going on in the world. It's just leaking right into your church. And it's all because there was never really an allegiance to the gospel, to the person and work of Christ. And there will be many of you who are listening to me with which you are saying deep down in your soul, you know, for many years, I was just kind of on the periphery about the word of God. I was kind of on the periphery about the gospel. For many years, I kind of justified us being lackadaisical and, and no, not so doctrinally rigid and, and, and not so, not so uh, as a matter of fact about what constitutes the word of God. Many of you listening to me know that where you are now in your observation of the local church is never where you thought it would be because of the kind of attitude you had 20 years ago about things that many of us were saying back then about where we are now, not only in our culture, but in our churches. You see a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Eventually, if you're not careful to cut it off before it becomes so permeative, then God has to throw the whole thing out, which is what he had to do with national Israel. When it persistently rebelled against God and through syncretism and ecumenism and compromise, it, it, it uh, by and by, before they knew it, they had abandoned the wholesale allegiance to the one true and living God and the word of God and the word of the prophets. And the next thing you know, God says you have become like all the other unclean vessels. I must get rid of you. 
must get rid of you. And that is also the warning that Christ gave to the seven churches in Revelation uh, 1, 2, and 3. If you read them carefully and you examine where they were and where we are today, we are in just as horrible a place as they are uh, were then. And Christ made it very clear, if you don't repent, I will take my candlestick away. And the candlestick has been taken away by the Spirit of God from many a church today. Oh, it's still active. It's still doing stuff, but it's horizontal. It has no vertical glory whatsoever. This is all about social issues, all about personal issues, all about man-centered issues, not the glory of God. That's what we are today. If you want to talk about it, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll tell you what, when I come back, I'm going to have some good news. <laughs> and then we're back to the bad news because that's the world we live in. We have 12 hours of day. Good news. And 12 hours of night, bad news, until Jesus comes and into all of the night stuff, uh, we got to deal with that cycle. So I got to take a break, pay some bills. When I come back, I will continue with my uh, monologue until I hear from you. one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 524 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. one 367 5329 You remember we talked about that uh, that that young boy, his mother, uh, uh, last weekend, uh, a deranged young African-American man uh, who happened to toss the little boy over uh, the um, rails uh, in a mall. I think it's in uh, Michigan or Minnesota, somewhere like that. It's called the Great American Mall. And uh, we were uh, working through the the ethics of that, the morals and spiritual implication of that, if you re- if you recall. And uh, we never did talk about what were the extensive damages because they weren't really known at that time. Uh, how a, a little five-year-old boy would actually fare being thrown 40 feet uh, down three uh, balcony uh, uh, levels to a marble floor. How, how, what would be the outcome? What would be the impact? But I do have some good news. This is what an article in USA Today says about our friend for whom we have prayed immediately upon hearing about it. Boy thrown off balcony at Mall of America miraculously suffered zero brain damage, the pastor says. See, mom and her little son went to church. That's a whole nother story about the the hedging that comes uh, with God's people in certain ways when we are actually actively part of the body of Christ. Listen to the story. A five-year-old boy who was thrown from a third-floor balcony at the Mall of America miraculously suffered no brain damage, his family pastor said. The boy fell nearly 40 feet after a stranger looking for someone to kill picked him up and threw him earlier this month. Bloomington, Minnesota, that's what it is. Police Chief Jeffrey Potts described the scene as gut-wrenching. Now, the boy is showing zero evidence of brain damage. The Lord is good, is he not? Mac Hammond, a pastor at the family's church, said during an Easter Sunday service, Hammond said the boy underwent a five-hour MRI test and there aren't signs of brain swelling anywhere. God is good. He's good anyway, but he's certainly good here. No spinal cord injury, no nerve damage, no internal injuries that were life-threatening, Hammond said in a, in a video. Hammond said a, sh- a shocked physician compared the boy's injuries to that of a child, child who had fell off of a bicycle. He didn't say that the boy sustained. He did say that the boy had sustained many broken bones. But can you see how good God has been? One of our callers had made mention of, uh, you know, wanting to support him. Now, let me show you how what really goes on in the Christian community around these kind of activities. And I know it personally. A GoFundMe page for the boy was set up by family friends, uh, by a family friend named Noah Hanneman had raised nearly, will you hear me, a million dollars as of early Wednesday. A million dollars. Hanneman told USA Today that the family is requesting privacy, but is very thankful for the prayer and the support. So you see, 
Uh, Tuesday, the boy's family shared a statement on the fundraising page saying, our son remains in intensive care under sedation and under close monitoring as we stay patient to allow him to heal. I did want to give you that news because it's so important for us to see that even in this disintegrating society that you and I live in, even in this broken world, this confused world, this this chaotically driven culture that we're in that's deconstructing through uh, critical theory uh, practices everywhere. This is Marxist, Freudian, you know, sort of just absolute uh, uh, antagonistic, relentless antagonistic historical deconstructionism uh, to the extent that people are absolutely unclear about anything that happened yesterday. Um There are still people who know their God. There are still people who know the truth. There are still people who walk in that truth. And there are still people who are enjoying uh, God proving himself to be God in our lives. And and what I mean by that, as I uh, would encourage you to to pick up the phone and call 1-888-367-5329, we got to deal with 12 hours of daylight, metaphorically, and we've got to deal with 12 hours of night, metaphorically. One of the statements I heard earlier day on a news uh, a news broadcast was that America is becoming and appearing to be more stressed out than ever. Americans are becoming more stressed out than ever, more than uh, ever, said one writer. And, and my question is, is in fact, is that in fact true? Are Americans becoming more stressed now? As a pastor, I kind of have my hand on the pulse a little bit with a, a, a moderately large church that I pastor and uh, multi-ethnic groups and different ranges of age and, and people coming from different socioeconomic uh, uh, spectrums. I, I got that. So I get a good little pulse. And uh, one of the conversations we had recently in our Daughters of Grace uh, class, by the way, last Saturday was absolutely phenomenal. Our Daughters of Grace dealt with the issue of emotional fog. It was deeply biblical. It was radically Christocentric. It was gospel oriented. It was biblical in its approach to dealing with emotional fog, which is to me one of the symptoms of our present stressed out culture. If in fact we can agree. But I asked the question, how come we're more stressed out today when when marijuana is just about free everywhere? I thought marijuana was supposed to mellow you out. Drinking is uh, in terms of the stigma doesn't exist anymore. So, I mean, you know, you can have a drink almost even on the job today and it's pretty cool. And if they, you know, see that you can't handle your work and drinking, they'll, they'll just send you to the psych and give you a few days off and you're back to work. Uh, we have uh, more uh, medicine, more pharmaceutical uh, drugs that we can take, more all kind of things to relieve stress. Why are we why are we so stressful today? We are dealing with a robust civil rights advocacy movement that uh, stands up for every one of the intersectional categories that's developing and subdividing and, and subdividing hither and yon. So you got people that'll go out and protest for you if you're, you know, five foot one and, and uh, you know, uh, middle colored skin and uh, uh, you might be one of the multi uh, uh, what are what are called uh, multi-gendered, uh, categorized persons that are outside of the the spectrum of the binary sexual categories that we are used to, and you're gonna have your group that's gonna support you. Why are we stressed out? Why are we stressed out when we got all of this civil rights activity targeting you to help you? No matter where you are in your life, they're there to help you out. Why are we stressed out? Why is the stress levels rising to the degree that we uh, we all really know it's there? What's this about? I'm going to give you four or five reasons. I'd be glad to hear from you on it. One is we're operating at a level of uncertainty in our life as never before. We are more uncertain now about anything than we ever have been in our life. And this is what critical theory arguments and critical theory practice does. It questions everything, deconstructs everything, exposes people for operating out of assumptions instead of being able to, op- being able to operate out of principles. It takes away any kind of traditional uh, factual uh, evidence r- with regards to what is truly normal, what is truly moral, what is truly ethical, what is truly right. And it brings you into question as to your own essence. No wonder you're uncertain. 
People are all over the place operating out of an emotional fog. Maybe you. You know what that means? A lack of clarity on who God is, who you are in God, what God's purpose is for your life, what you should be doing for him right now. A lot of people can't answer those questions. Here's another thing. There's absolute fragility in relationships. People are having a hard time in relationships if they even have them. We know and have known for a long time that men and women are not doing well in the context of relationships. We are having a burgeoning class of single people, divorced people, post-divorced people, two and three and four times. And the ones that are together are having an extremely difficult time getting along. One of the reasons I'm going to have another Rules of Engagement marriage series this year, the Lord willing, dealing with the art of cooperation is because all of these forces, all of these problems that you and I are dealing with makes it hard for a couple to understand, realize and enjoy covenant, sanctified, joyful, blessed marriage because we're impacted in the porousness of our mind by our culture. So he's stressed out. She's stressed out. He don't know. She don't know. They're operating out of uncertainty. And when I come back from the break, I'm going to tell you now, as I've told our audience decades ago, the children are next. And what do I mean by that? Pedophilia is being advocated in our schools. You know that. You knew it was coming because the word of God is right. When God told his people, now, when I bring you into the land, I don't want you behaving like them. And, and you, you know, you hear from these advocates who are soft on it. Well, you know, now, you know, we're not going to touch the children. We're not going to approach the children. This is just between consenting adults. But we knew all along that you can't put a legitimate moral bar on arbitrary lines where everybody is not acting moral. How are you going to let the immoral unethical, unbiblical culture established morals. You know the line was going to be moved. It is being moved. It is anticipated to be moved. I already told you, you can't avoid Romans 1. You cannot avoid Leviticus 18 through 20. You can't avoid history. It repeats itself. You can't avoid it. The only way you can is to obey God, obey his word, follow his principles. You can't dilly-dally in certain largely societal practices without them drawing you into the slippery slope. We're going to show you that when we come back from the break, but this is where we are today. Told you it's going to move from the homosexual acceptance and building of it as not only normal, but elitist to your paterastic pedophilia advocates, which were already out there in the first place. We talked about that. They've been there, particularly in high offices. Everybody knows that and around the world. But now Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, recommendation many decades ago that uh, sexual uh, relations with children is all right, uh, starting at the age of about 11. Woo! Here we go. The Babylonian system is upon us. one 367 Three lines open. one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back at the time, 539 on the Monday edition of Lifeline was uh, basically letting you know that we are dealing with um, the cascading slippery slope of, uh, of uh, immorality um, making its way through the sort of biblical prohibition uh, framework to now eventually the conversation will be had. Pedophilia being taught as sexual orientation in California schools is the article by one Gary Wagner. And you could find it easy online. Just tons of different stuff around it. I was listening to another discussion where uh, the gay pride event that took place in New York had um, people who are pro pedophilia uh, pedophiliacs out there. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at an article now about Gabriel Union, who I'm hap- whom, whom I happen to have absolutely no regard for. She's the. Uh, the wife of uh, of uh, Dwayne Wade, one of the uh, um, 
one of the major uh, star guards in the NBA back with the Heat now. But, uh, you know, she she has uh, for a long time made her 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 fame around, you know, hypersexual activity, particularly in the black community, as you know. Um, and I'm not sure if the article is true. It, it, I wouldn't doubt it with her kind of thinking because, you know, that they have really uh, taken on the trajectory of the civil rights movement, moving it from black to sexuality. And it's prominent now in the black culture. And any one of you who want to talk to me about it, you may very well do that. You know, gay is the new black was a terminolo- terminology long ago, right along with uh, the new normal. Well, here we go. We predicted this is the article I'm reading. We predicted this was coming 31 months ago. While we would much rather be wrong about that prediction, the time has come to admit that we were correct. I also admit it didn't take an Isaiah-sized gift of prophecy to predict either. Once the blackened doors of a moral license swung open to admit homosexuality and uh, gay marriage, the damage was done. Utter cultural defilement was inevitable. Pedophilia as sexual orientation. Now, the door is opening still further. For the obscene crime of pedophilia, there was a time when exposing children to mild obscenity was a crime. It is now considered education. Informed parents of California have waged a noble battle to expose the perversion and evil that is being forced on the state's children. However, that is not enough. Parents who have love, who love their children must protect them from this evil now. And that means getting them out of Pharaoh's school system. You can tell this this group is biblical in terms of its worldview. Let it crash without us. Let them come to us eventually and seek biblical wisdom, just as Pharaoh sought the counsel of Joseph's God in times of famine. It's a pretty good view. Government school officials in California think it's really important to teach children about pedophilia and pederasty in the classroom because it's a sexual orientation. Whoa. So Namla was right. That is according to a top official for California's uh, Bree Alinda School District, who admits to parents who admitted to parents that it was being done and that it would continue despite the outrage. The implications are mind blowing. The stunning admission came after a parent information meeting last month for the Bree Alinda Unified School District. Stephanie Yates asked school officials why they were teaching pedophilia. In school to ninth graders, but instead of a denial that such an atrocity would take place, a top official confirmed it was happening and acted like there was nothing wrong with it. This is done because we are, quote, this is what the official says. This is done because we are talking about historical perspectives of how gender relations, here we go again, gender relations, and different types of sexual orientations have existed in history, said uh, Assistant Superintendent of Curricula, Carrie Torres, in a matter-of-fact way, sounding almost oblivious to how the bombshell might sound to normal people. Horrified, the mother expressed shock at Torres' admission. So sex, said the mother, so sex between a man and a boy is sexual orientation, she asked. Tori did not deny it. I saw that video. She just kind of turned her head. It's something that occurred in history, and so this is really important for us to include, the, the assistant superintendent said, implying that, yes, sexual relations between a man and a boy properly considered rape under the law of every state is a sexual orientation. I'm here to tell you that's what you are dealing with. Uh, by those who warned about the slippery slope, propaganda outlets disguised as news organizations such as Salon and Slate have also been working to normalize and redefine pedophilia, pederasty as a sexual orientation. LGBT movement hero Mar- Harvey Milk, who is celebrated in California's fake history uh, textbooks as a great figure, was known for raping minor boys, at least one of them who had committed suicide. The gates of evil are open. Parents who love their children must protect them from this evil now, and that means removing them from government schools. You can find this if you want to look for it, you guys. That's if you want to look for it. I'm here to simply do what I've been doing for about 12 years now, telling you about stuff you really won't hear even on Christian radio. You just won't hear it because the Christian church does not know how to vitally and prophetically address cultural issues 
because of too much investment in the very culture to which they should be both prophetic and priestly. It just doesn't know how to do it. It doesn't know how to robustly address these matters because it is too it is too involved in it on the pseudo evangelical side. Of just love them and kind of hope that it works out. But the reality is, while the Christian church is not vitally prophetic and vitally priestly, it makes no impact at all on the culture. And, and conversely, there's an there's a impact being made on the church itself. It first starts with preachers and pastors and leaders not addressing these things in a robust, biblical, Christocentric way of totally exposing and demolishing the fraudulent foundation upon which these assumptions on the part of the secularists, particularly in the area of sexuality, are asserting. And so because we're not doing that, what you're doing is seeing congregations that are filling up with people who are already uh, contaminated by this Babylonian system. That's just a fact of the matter. The church leaders don't know what to do about it. But but pretend that it really doesn't exist as bad as it is. But in fact, it's worse than it is. And that's how it works, you guys. Over time, what what these civil rights movements do, what these advocacy groups do is make their way all the way up to politics, get the affirmation of politics. And, and when the season is right, when the hearts are soft enough, when people are apathetic and cold and indifferent enough, then they vote. And you look up and uh, uh, California has now voted in, in a trajectory of, of utter unbiblicalness for decades now. And it's no wonder that the school systems will topple here and there all across the state around pederasty and pedophilia in a moment because sexual orientation, the myth that it is in the construct in which it's being delivered by the liberal progressive postmodernists um, is prevailing as an argument that has not been successful fully demolished by any legitimate conservative groups. Huh. Two lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. We're not done. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back at the time 551. Let's begin to go to the phone line as we warm up our discussion. I'll be talking with Nelson on line number one. Nelson, are you there? Nelson on line number one going once. Nelson on line number one going twice. Nelson on line number one going three times. Let's go to line. Now? <laughs> Nelson. Hello. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. What's going on? Oh wow, I had my I had my um headphones All right. in. All right, you need to cut you gotta cut you anyway. gotta cut me down, brother. You gotta cut me down. Um you know, I, I really enjoyed your um um, Easter message, uh, excuse me, Resurrection Sunday message, <laughs> and I'm gonna listen to it again a few times. How did you hear it? On the internet. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, well, good. What, what, what? Give me one extraction because people will. I, I get people. Oh, man, that was a great message. Okay, all right. What, 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 yeah. what you learn from it? Oh no, but it was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, about the Lord will um, in these like times you're talking about now, the Lord will deliver the righteous. Yeah. I mean, that's the one. Because yep. that, that's one of my favorite sermons by Spurgeon, the yep. testi- a testimony of free and sovereign grace from Psalms 37. Um, the, the, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, you said, you said a lot today. And, you know, even though you may not get a crowd listening, these things you're talking about, they're going to explode. And and people are going to have to talk about it and deal with all this stuff that people are trying to push down yep. um, our throats. Yep, yep, without a doubt. I but I will tell you now, people don't know. Lots of people listen to this program, um, Nelson. I'm telling you now, lots of people listen. I find people from around the world listening to this program, and and I think and and I'm gonna make it like this. It's not even about me. So you can affirm this. You're not going to get. Many uh, radio talk show hosts on a public level like this that talk about the things I talk about uh, with the analysis that I bring uh, uh, on the radio. You're just not going to get it. You don't you get a you get a totally political perspective, whether left or right, rather progressive or conservative. But you don't really get 
uh, radio that has a thoroughly Christian framework addressing radically relevant political issues like I do. I, I got my ear to the pulse and I'm looking and I'm listening for the, the men or women that are addressing these things in a radically biblical way. Uh, and, and at best, you'll find one here or there on the Internet. You don't really find people doing what I'm doing. And and everywhere I go, this is the truth, and I'm just sharing it with you. If I open my mouth um, for one minute, almost anywhere I go in a large crowd, my wife will tell you this. People who hang with me will tell you this. Hey, are you Jesse Gistant? And then there you go. It's one of these things where you get this constant affirmation that people are listening. Uh, that's the reason we do talk radio, because we have, you know, Arbitron ratings that can kind of tell what kind of market we have. But people are listening all over, particularly when somebody is talking from a biblical worldview about political social issues that are like this. You just don't have people talking like I'm talking. So you must know there are people listening. In fact, the phone lines are are picking up now as you and I talk. But since I knew you, I said, I'll pick up Nelson first and see what he has to say, what's going on with him. Right. And, and I've been very guilty of what you're talking about because I got so mad. I, I was such a new Gingrich Republican in the nineties. And I took a, I got so mad at the, um, you know, the right. And now this, the anti-social justice people, and, and I really study them. And then I see that they have these neo-Confederate views in this, and they're supporting Trump's Charlottesville remarks. It's really irked me. And I I got muted from a reformed website yesterday because I I put up even the radio um, show where a prominent family who signed that statement said that Lincoln was a tyrant and that they did not believe in the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't swear. A guy started swearing at me, and this is a heavily moderated website. He started swearing at me, so they muted the whole thing down, even though I wasn't the one who... Did the swearing. Sure. Did he profess to be um, a Christian? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Okay. He, he was very political. But, but again, I've been, I've been guilty of it, too. Um, you know, even though I come at it in an analytical way where I prove point by point that these people have neo-Confederate views, um, that they don't believe in the 14th Amendment and stuff like that, and, and they're going to tell me as a black person what social justice is. It's like um, Reverend Wright or Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson or someone even more extreme like Louis Farrakhan um, or a black Hebrew Israel telling them um, what how to think as a white person. <laughs> yeah, I, I get all that. There's no doubt about that. In that particular vein, I, I see that extreme pendulum uh, sort of uh, apples and oranges argument all the time. I really do try to stay down the pike of a biblicist, uh, and I think you pick up on that. I'll, I'll whack the liberals. I'll whack the conservatives, particularly when I see the hypocrisy, because you see the hypocrisy on both sides. One of the things that I'm really simply trying to do, and I'll be honest with you, because I don't care about I don't care about left or right anymore. I see what they're doing. I see what they've done. I call this the dialectical process. Hegel taught it many years ago, and and smart Christians live above it. We can speak into it. We can talk with people because I love to bring people out of identity politics because this is really what we're talking about. If you are a Bible-believing Christian and you are sound in your soteriology, you got the nature of God right. If you understand the sovereignty of God and yet at the same understand the uh, responsibility of man— uh, in the biblical sense, not in the uh, Arminian free will sense that you and I know happens to be philosophical, not theological, um, then you then you realize that God's in control of the evil and the good. What that means is, is we can stay on point with biblical matters, whether the brothers and sisters are, are, are in either of those camps, because I know they are. I know there are brothers and sisters uh, Nelson, that are in the camp of the Confederate, and they really do try to whitewash the Confederate history in order to demonstrate or argue for uh, Christian elements in it. Th- that's just not going to work for your average black person. I got that. That's just not going to work. Uh, it's going to be hard to, to to appeal. And yet, you know, there's a black sit going on right now uh, from uh, a liberal constituency into the Republican Party by Candace Owens and others. You do know that, right? What about Candace Owens? Do you know about that? The blacks that's going on people leaving the uh, Democrat Party and, and going over to the conservative party. Black people. Yeah, well, she says that and, and then uh, Trump, I guess he did get more votes from um, 
um, black people than Romney and um, John McCain. That's old. That's old. Now you know that. That sometimes I'm I'm wondering because I know you're a smart man. You do know that there was a move in that direction because after a while, this cannot merely be about so-called race. You and I know you know we're talking about fictitious categories when we use the term black and white in the first place. You're not black, and 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 Donald Trump is not white. There's no way that you can substantiate that biblically or empirically. So using those categories as we do, I get it, it's convenient, but we do know that there is a movement on many black people who are waking up into the Republican Party. Now, that's not good news to me. I'm sorry. I know it, I know it, I know some would think so, but conservative does not equal Republican. I'm conservative, but I'm not Republican. So I don't even really care. I think it's another ruse, if you will, uh, to swing them into that, that party of promises that, uh, that cannot really be fulfilled by the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, if, if you will. But I, if a person has to simply deal with politics on a platform level, I'm going to take the opportunity to ask you because you have been you've operated on both sides in at least in a sympathetic way. So just ask, answer this question for me as a African-American uh, a male who is a believer, solidly believer. I know your, your convictions about the gospel. Uh, tell me why would a person actually embrace or adopt a democratic platform with all of its anti-biblical uh, stances? Well, you, 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 you baited the question with all of its anti-biblical <laughs> But I know what you Stop mean. Stop laughing because you, you, yeah, you know what I mean. You should, just give me five points oh, okay, on the plan. I'll give you the answer. The answer is because, well, like an elder at the Reformed Baptist Church, I go to, he's black. He said because they help people more. So over the years, the Democrats have helped people more. And people see, people see, um, most people don't really read deep into it. Um, like, you know, not the pat myself on the back like i do see the difference between gerald ford and dewey and eisenhower and kemp and dole republican versus reagan and goldwater which has kind of taken over the party which which really had this backlash towards civil rights that's why people weren't embracing that type of republicanism because it was you know dewey tried to get black people into major league baseball you know of course of course, Dewey, he ran against... Um, all right, you, you, you're drifting now. I got all yeah. that. You and I know all that history. Quit drifting. Point I'm is, asking you... Uh, no, no, stay with me. I love you. Stay with me. It's stay. a backlash against... Okay, now that, that makes sense, but that's not rational, not as a Christian. I can see the secular black man doing that. I can't see the Christian black man uh, signing his name on the dotted line of any kind of advocacy group, particularly politics, with as important as our votes are looking at the platform, advocating abortion, advocating same-sex marriage, advocating all kinds of liberal policies that are anti-biblical, uh, as we are seeing the unfolding of it today, the unfolding of much of your immoral, unethical, unbiblical, unchristian-like expression on a policy level is advocated by the left. You know that. I I agree. Um, even though there are, of course, pro-choice people like Anna Navarro, but not but not as a platform. I'm talking about the platform. Right, right. I'm talking about. All right, so see you right. gonna you gonna what you gonna do? You gonna help me out because I know you're reasonable, brother. Help me understand. No, no, no. I, I agree. I'm just being too analytical. <laughs> but, but, um, no, I, I agree with you saying, but the, you don't understand how people perceive. Like last last year, the midterm elections, there was a a record number of white supremacists, white nationalists. I totally agree with you. As Republicans, I totally agree and, with you. I and, no, and, I I totally agree with that. In, Nazi Germany. So in, in with Charlottesville and what happened just happened at the synagogue and the ch- black churches being burnt in Louisiana um, and Trump's response to Charlottesville that Orrin Hatch rebuked him. Ben Cheryl, Ben Shapiro um, rebuked him. Um, Paul Ryan rebuked him. John Kasich, Mark Rubio, all the Republicans rebuked him because there were no good and fine people saying Jews and blacks won't replace us. So th- don't act like Black people, Asians have voted, according to the Asian Defense League, Asians voted 79% for Hillary. So 
that, that narrative, if you're successful in this country, then you'll always vote Republican, is what Candace Owens is saying is ridiculous. Well, no, she's speaking more from a philosophical standpoint, too, and you know that she's being philosophical. I don't particularly, I think she's as hoodwinked as anybody on the left is, to be honest with you. I think she's a shilling, too. Smart lady, but she's a shilling. She doesn't know enough about history to be as um, as uh, as assertive as she is. She's just got a good mind, and you know that young people with good minds can talk well, uh, but are not nuanced in their understanding on the ground. In my in my opinion, she's another one of the African-American women that's out there speaking concerning your fundamental individualism and, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and avoid the victim mentality. And a lot of that I agree with because the Bible would teach it. This is the area in which, and I got to let you go here. One of the things that I'm not going to do if God gives me grace is to affirm a cultural Christianity that says I'm a believer in Christ and the Bible is my thesis and my my prism for interpretation and yet embrace policies that change the whole trajectory and DNA of our culture. I'm not going I'm not going to affirm anything like that at any time. That is a total betrayal of the gospel. And so I, w- I just won't let it happen. I will understand how people can operate out of a cognitive dissonance, how that they can say they are one thing and do another. And then when they're called on the carpet, they can't do anything but say, well, I just feel this way because of the way, you know, white folks are. I feel this way because of the way Republicans are. And on the other side, like you like, you know, if you've listened to me deal with politics uh, during the time of the presidency, when people hear me saying, hey, listen, I'm not voting for Trump. There are so many things that disqualify him from being the president in terms of more ethical standards for men. I'm not going to sign my line on the uh, not my name on the dotted line for him just to uh, beat Hillary. I- I'm not selling out like that. Um, I do that, Nelson, only because I don't want to play cultural Christian. I don't care how many African-Americans I lose as friends just because I'm not advocating a democratic or liberal policy platform. I don't care. I don't care how many uh, uh, non-African-Americans, that is Caucasians, I lose as friends simply because I called them on the carpet for their compromise of biblical truth around qualifications for leaders. I don't really care. I'm going to be honest with you. I only care about men and women who want to be consistent with the biblical standards and walk in them. I re- that's really the conviction that I have around these issues because I don't think politics saves us one whit just not one whit listen i appreciate you man i gotta take a break on the monday edition of lifeline when i come back john kiana and eddie we can keep it rolling one line open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine all i know is this if you make politics your identity it will distract you away from the gospel and you will be completely irrelevant when it comes to seeing men and women bow the knee to Jesus Christ as the true and the living God that this is what I've seen over almost 60 years of living that we have a cultural Christianity that's pseudo in nature and it rises all the way up to your 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 big tent radio speakers on the conservative side and on the liberal side it's phony Christianity insofar as this talk show hearse Holtz's concern. I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com